You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. I've learned that you don't do it alone. You learn so many different things from so many different coaches. That's an elite learning environment. Failure is not a problem. How you deal with it is a problem. How to be resilient. How important it is to infuse joy in the process of learning. To be a good coach, you've got to give more than you take. What an interesting life it is to be a leader. Hello and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast, where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership. And so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our families, our colleagues and our teams better. As the podcast has grown, the great coaches we have interviewed have shared so much insight and wisdom that we decided to create episodes dedicated entirely to the ideas that have resonated with us the most. Today's episode focuses on the topic of energy. And Jim and I are joined for the discussion by Dr. Gavin Weeks. Gavin is a doctor of psychology and an associate fellow at Oxford Syed Business School and the director of innovation and development at the consultancy Thompson Harrison. We also interviewed him a while back on the topic of purpose, and it went so well that we invited him back. And just before we go to the interview, if you enjoy listening to the podcast and would like to learn more, you can head over to our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. There you will find more video and podcast content taken from the 150 plus interviews we have done with some of the world's great coaches. You will also find our insight database where we've snipped out the insights from the videos of our interviews on leadership topics like culture, communication and conflict. You can search through them by keyword, sport or coach, download and share them for a small fee. We'll be adding to it regularly as we interview more great coaches from around the world. We also have a newsletter that features information on our latest podcasts, leadership insights from our guests, recommendations they have on books, articles or other media, as well as information on how you can engage with other people who listen to the podcast in our live events. 
And now, please enjoy our episode on the topic of energy. You're listening to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. Dr. Gavin Weeks, good morning and welcome back to the Great Coaches podcast. Good to be back, Paul. Well, the response to the last time we had you on talking about purpose was so great. We were able to twist your arm into coming back on again. So thank you very much for that. And Gavin, today we're going to be talking about energy, uh, given the research that you've just been doing and the paper that you've uh, published. But before we get into that, something really simple to begin with. Could you tell us where you are in the world and what you've been up to so far today? I am in Windsor in the UK for the international listeners not too far away from Heathrow Heathrow Airport. Um, for royal followers, one time home of the of the Queen, sometime home of, of the King of England. Um, it is dreary, it's rainy, um, probably ironic to a topic of, of energy is it's early in the morning. Um, the kids woke up in the night. <laughs> so uh, and uh yeah so it's, it's it's quite early just enough time for a uh for a for a coffee i'm not somebody who gets up at the crack of dawn and exercises i do mine later in the uh later in the day so uh this is my first this is my first real bit of uh of thinking for the morning well i'm glad that we could have your first bit of real thinking for the morning and i'm gonna start with a well i think it's a relatively simple question but i could be mistaken Gavin, we hear all the time about energy. He's got good energy. That person's got bad energy. The team's got good energy. What is human energy? Well, I think, Paul, in your in your question, you're touching on actually how often that term is used to describe to describe different things. Sometimes you're talking there about people's enthusiasm. Sometimes you're talking there about elements of their personality that make somebody good to be around or potentially challenging to be around. But at least my thinking around energy and the work that we've been doing we've been doing recently is is really focused on on two things. One, the physical resource that we have, so our our capability to actually do work, which is something which is interestingly both renewable. You know, we we go to sleep every day tired, and we wake up in the morning hopefully rejuvenated, but at the same time a resource that depletes over time and and one of the the driving interests from energy from that perspective is is just if you look at the the, the figures on burnout in uh, at least in the in in the organizational world there's some studies some research put around 40 40 40 plus percent that says that actually sustaining energy is a real is a real challenge for people at the moment the second way i think energy is interesting or the way i think about it is um more subjective perhaps more of a psychological element. In, in research, the term subjective vitality is used. But that's that's my feeling of being energized, which relates, I think, to topics like engagement, to motivation, to enthusiasm, to a degree, to do a degree of vigor that might rub off on, on other people, which maybe, maybe is a reason why, as you say, some people get described as having good energy or having or having negative energy. And Gavin, what role do leaders play in generating energy? Well, if you answer like a physicist, which clearly I'm not, energy energy isn't generated. It's just transferred from one thing to, to another. Um, and actually, I think that's quite an interesting perspective 
because if as a leader i think my role is to is to is to create energy or make other people feel energized maybe i'm going to end up doing an awful lot of work and not trust that actually people have that capability within themselves so i i would tend to think of of lead, the leader's role being to galvanize and to harness and to channel the energy of a team into um the tasks or responsibilities that they have and to ensure that as as little energy as possible is drained into you know either worthless activity frustrating activity or sort of a contradictory activity so there's you know you go the leader's role in in a way is to channel the energy of uh, of of their people or to help them challenge it also today we've got my co-host on the podcast uh, Jim Wolfrey here hello Jim hi Paul it's good to be here on the other side of the microphone this time Jim what did the great coaches say when it comes to talking about the part that energy plays in their leadership yeah energy comes up with our interview guests often when talking about what they do to ensure that they have the energy needed to lead their programs and there's a great example of why this is so important from the University of Florida soccer coach Beck Burley where she talks about nothing being as valuable to the team than her best energy well first i think that um i was blessed with a strong capacity to work i mean even when i was in college um i played two sports i held i think three or four jobs at the same time and so i i think i'm a good manager of my time but i also think it goes back to a little bit more of like the compartmentalization part i don't carry work home maybe i do sometimes but i think as a whole i i think i do a pretty good job with that and i think i am um i don't need a lot to refresh i kind of know what i need to refresh and i don't need much but i do need some and i recognize when i need it and when i need it i take it that might be something as simple as you know taking the dogs for a walk but it also might be just you know <clears throat> going to see a concert or something that checks me out of whatever my day-to-day stress is um and i think so many of us feel like okay well we have so much to do we can't take that time and the way i've always looked at that is if i don't bring my best energy to my team like there's nothing more valuable there's no task that needs to get done that's more valuable than me bringing my best energy to my team and so i i've found a way to i guess wrap that around in my mind that if that means me getting fresher is going to be better for my team and it means i don't get to do a task i i have no issue with that whatsoever gavin if i can come back to you now what i'd like to know is based on your research what can a leader do or rather not do so that they don't negatively impact the energy within a team so if if as a leader i know that people need a sense of autonomy a sense of a sense of choice in the work that they do well i really better not be a dictator i really better not create an environment where people don't make choices where people don't make decisions as to where they focus their efforts whether it's during a given day or or on a on a sports pitch you know if if i create a team of you know automata that only do 
the things that they've been told to do and don't make decisions on, you know, on the field, I'm probably not going to get the best out of them, but I'm also not going to be going to be promoting that sense of that sense of autonomy. I also, you know, put put positively, I want to create an environment where people can connect. You and I have have, have colleagues and friends, Tracy and uh, and and Tracy Camilla and Sam Rocky, who are my who are my business partners, have just written a book called The Social Brain with a with a professor called Robin Dunbar, and lots of that work is around how do you create environments where people can feel connection and where people can feel a sense of of, of belonging. So in terms of the ingredients that make up that make up teams, those things are crucial. So if I want people to feel a sense of of connectedness. I better create an environment where they can genuinely connect with each other, not in a in a superficial way. You know, we turn up to the um, to work, or we turn up to the practice field, and we just make some small talk, or we or we share some jokes. But in a in a deeper way, that I feel like I really get to know my my teammates. And then the the final piece, competence or or mastery. I think, I mean, I think in a way this runs through coaches, doesn't it? The idea that I'm I'm going to help people to become better than they are at the thing they've chosen to focus their 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 attention on. But I think many people have have examples of managers or coaches who kind of did the opposite, who who made them feel like they were getting worse, who were so critical in their communication always that they only pointed out the things that they were doing badly, and didn't have conversations about the things that they did, the, the thing that they did really well, um, or didn't have conversations about the, the the progress that they were able to they were able to see. Gavin, through your research and your work in the corporate sector, are you able to identify critical moments when the leader's energy can make a big difference? I mean, I haven't I haven't done sort of. The work that shows in the exact moment, but what I can say, and this this probably is 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 more related to um, not sports coaching but exec coaching kind of work. That when I when I see people who are you know, emotionally drained and physically drained, the the trigger for them is often not always, but often. The effect that that was having on their on their team. So a leader's exhaustion or frustration or irritability suddenly being noticed by members of the team in a way that it wasn't before. Suddenly being seen as as being more critical, as less encouraging, as less interested in the work that they were that they were doing. And and when that feedback starts to starts to emerge, or even worse, when you know when an actual issue happens where there's a a real you know, moment of extreme frustration, say, and that's often a trigger for people to say, "Well, I need to think about this some more." One really interesting thing in the in the research that you that, that you've already mentioned that we that we did with some one of the the, the leaders that we spoke to, um, they'd all been. Members of a, uh, of a of a leadership program that I work on at the business school in, in Oxford said, "You know what? During the pandemics, this is going back a couple of couple of years now. I thought that I was showing up with a real enthusiasm, and you know, I thought I was being the you know effectively the the, the cheerleader for my for my team. And I realised that people saw right through it. 
I realized that people could see that I was just drained, uninspired, not really fully, fully engaged. And for him, that was a turning point to say, I actually really need to think about the way that I'm feeling and not just putting on the face of somebody who is fully, you know, fully charged. I'm sure we've all put on that face at times, Gavin, and for sure I've been one of those people as well. But Jim, from the great coaches we've interviewed, do we have any examples of them talking about the energy that their athletes or their teams expect of them? We do, and probably the best example comes from Rickard Grip, who was the national coach of the Swedish cross-country skiing team between 2010 and 2019. And at the age of 32, he led the national team to their best performance ever at the 2014 Winter Olympics, where they finished equal top on the medal table with Norway, winning 11 medals. And in our interview with him, he talked about what athletes told him they wanted from their coaches. It's a great quote. So let's have a listen. For me, it's really important for the coaches to meet the athletes where they are. And what I mean with that is, you have to meet the athletes if they are in the age, it's a young, or if it's a little bit older, what they have for own experience. For me, it's always that you should try to work together with athletes. That means some of them you might uh, showing the way a little bit more, someone else, you bit more advanced, what they should do, give them opportunity to choose which kind of role they should go for. So it depends a lot and all, but the main thing and the most important is that they are into the job, really focus and give a lot of energy. So the athletes feels like they have coaches that had big knowledge, but for sure, the most important part is that they give lots of energy to the athletes. And I did actually after or before, as you said, I have worked for nine years in a team. In the first three years, I was working as a coach or head coach for the ladies. And after that, I took over the head coach position or also the team manager for both ladies and men. That was uh, 10, 11 months before Sochi. And I have a white paper and my boss said that you have a fantastic opportunity to build your own team. And I thought that was really nice opportunity. But quite fast, I realized that it's not so easy to build a team uh, and also have all this pressure from media, fans, everyone that feel like, okay, it's only like 11, 10 months to the Olympics and you didn't even have an organization. So that was a little bit stressful. But when I asked the athletes, all of them was talking about the passion, the energy from the coaches. That was the main thing when I asked them what they want from the coaches. There was the passion and the energy to the job. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Gavin, one interesting finding in your research was the value of disruption when it comes to generating energy and indeed innovation. I was wondering if you could just expand on this a little bit because it, was not, it wasn't a main point in the research, but I found it absolutely uh, fascinating. Yeah, so let me give you some a bit more context about the 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 program and the people who come on the on the program who were interviewed as part of that of that research. So it's a it's a program at the at the university in Oxford that runs for a week, um, where people who are usually very senior in organisations, um, whether that's in the private sector or the or the public sector, arrive on a Sunday. Um, stay in a in a kind of campus all the way through to to Friday afternoon, and usually turn up having had an incredibly busy time shoehorning lots of work in, so that they can create some space in their in in their diaries. And during that week, we do a combination of you know, really interesting and provocative speakers experiences. So you're as like you're as likely to hear somebody talking about um, historical research as you are to be in a in a chapel conducting a conducting a choir, never having done so in your life before. Lots of time for reflection, you know, whether that's in conversation with with peers or whether that's in in the tutor groups that we that we run, where we're in small groups of about six people, and we're really digging into the leadership challenge that people have brought with them on the on the program. We go outside into into nature. We use the the buildings of of Oxford as well as the as, as well as a specific business school, and you have an interesting thing happen, which is when people who turn up and are pretty tired on day one feel like they come alive during the course of the of the week. And one of the the interviewees that we that we spoke to said it's a really interesting thing for me because the whole experience just um, I think he used the word shuffled me. It just it just created a sort of reverberation in, inside of me that I couldn't quite that I couldn't quite explain. And and for me, this shows something really interesting about that subjective sense of energy, because we often experience it when we're doing something which is a little outside of our of our norm, which is either because it's looking at the world from a completely different way than we're used to. Or that it's slightly outside of our outside of our comfort zone. So you have this uh, relationship between that disruption, and I think it was um, I, I can't remember the, uh, the the innovation writer, so I'm not going to try and I'm not going to try and pull out a name, but talked about creative um, disruption. So there is that sense of of deliberately challenging myself to think about things differently. But that, in a way, goes hand in hand with a real sense of purpose, because if in that in that small example I gave of the of the week of of learning, if those leaderships, if those leaders were doing something they just didn't actually care about, they didn't care about their organisations, they didn't care about their role, they weren't interested in the content, then that disruption would have been would have been useless. So it's when we do something which is both disruptive, but also connected to something that really matters to us, that can be a really real stimulant for yes, that subjective sense of energy. 
Oh, I love it. It sounds uh, it sounds totally fascinating, and uh, I wish I could go to Oxford to experience it. But Gavin, there's people listening who can't afford to go away for a week. What could they do with their normal routines during the week to get this same sense of disruption? Well, I mean, I think the advantage here is that many of us find that we we live quite routine lives. If you if you are busy with a with a job and responsibilities, with family life, with with trying to do the basics of keeping yourself fit and healthy that we've we've sort of touched on already, it's very easy to fall into the same to the same pattern. So you you switch off from all of that with the same kind of kind of show that you might watch watch on Netflix afterwards, or you pick up the same the you know the same books by the same authors that you've that that you've read. You know, I had a lovely example yesterday um of doing some coaching work with um with somebody in in the states and they said to me now you're going to laugh about this and bear in mind this person is a is a is a very senior in an, in an organization in, in a business um who is interested in jazz um a real reader very thoughtful person said i've taken up hip-hop dancing And he said, the great thing is, I don't know how to do it. And my wife knows a little bit more than me. I'm clueless. And we turn up and every week, it reminds me that you don't have to fall into the same routine. There's nothing about hitting my age or my seniority that says you're going to carry on doing these same things for the rest of your rest of your life. And I think so. So that's a, just a nice example of saying like, there's something really left field that I'm quite interested in. Let me give it a go. And that could be as simple as picking up a different book by a different type of author that you haven't read before. You always read crime fiction. Well, go read some science fiction or some fantasy. You always read nonfiction business books. Well, go read a go read a long, a long history of ancient Greece. You know, we, we we're living in a time when we have you know almost limitless availability of great writing, arts, sports. It's just a case of, of disrupting our routine a bit. So, Gavin, after doing this research, after working with leaders at Oxford and coaching people all around the world, what is it you think the best leaders do differently when it comes to channeling or, as you said earlier, transferring energy? Good question, Paul. I think I actually think the first thing that good leaders do around this is that they they talk about it. So they they talk about how feeling, and maybe this is this is broader than energy out towards just a general sense of well being. They make it something which is important to to them as a leader of the of a group. Um, to the organization as a place that wants to have sustainable performance. And they start up conversations, which is around what's making you, what's giving you that sense of energy at the moment, what's draining your energy. And not just talk about it, but notice the things that we can change and we can respond to. So everybody in the team is exhausted by the fact that we have um, four meetings that people think could just be one. 
Well, then they experiment with it. You know, it's another way of creating some disruption. Is it's cancelling those three other meetings and doing and doing the one and seeing and seeing what happens. Um, another thing is is kind of I, I think I think going back a little bit in our conversation, it's it's recognizing actually that you're not really creating energy. You're not the the sort of center of the organizational solar system. You're there to help challenge. You're there to help create an environment where people can be energized, where they can experience vitality and and well-being. And therefore you're much more likely to be having conversations around the around the sides of your team than standing in the middle giving the great motivational speech. And we've those of us who have been in in sports teams or in other types of organizations that are focused on high performance know that there are moments when the head coach or a leader has to has to step in and has to give that, you know, has to give that rousing speech, has to bring everybody together. It might be because we've we're hitting a moment where we've got to play somebody who everyone thinks we're going to lose to. Or where there's been some there's been some fractures in the team and somebody's got to bring everyone together again and remind us why we're here. But there's a difference between having done the work to ask the question about why we're here and then the coach reminding people then the coach stepping in the middle and telling people why we're, why we're here. So it's seeing yourself as being the person that can help to create the environment where people can be, can be energized. Um, I think it's thinking about the environments that you, that you create that allow for people to we were talking earlier about connection and relating that back to um to my colleagues' work, that both the physical environments, but also the working environments that you that you create can help people to come together, can give people the the time and space to share conversation, to share meals, to sit, to sit together and work on problems together. Um, in our in our research, we reference a study which is about shared attention and how that can create a sense of energy so when you've when you when you find when you've got people together really trying to solve an interesting problem if you could at the moment measure their energy their sense their subjective probably and also their physical energy you'd find that there was a there was an improvement so create environments where people can do things and solve things to together Another thing is having really clear principles for managing energy, particularly as it relates to workload. I'm doing some work with an organization at the moment who are you know, leaders in their in their field. Um, they're, they're what you would describe as a high performing place. They do well financially. People do people do well there in terms of growing their careers. But they actually have quite a strong ethos around workload so they have as many organizations do core hours of let's say nine in the morning till 5 30 or so in the in the evening and when senior people see somebody working beyond those whether it's online or whether it's in the office they'll they'll have a conversation with them about are you keeping up are you managing is there anything that, that I can do? What what can we deprioritize so that you can get finished, you can get done, and you can go and re- recover, refresh, spend time with family, whatever else that you need to do? And they do that habitually. It's very different from 
other kinds of organizations that will have conversations with people saying, look, I think you're overworking a bit, but then give the same pressures or maybe even maybe even create more intense pressure, which just tells you that yeah, I, I care at some level about your well-being, but we're not really going to do anything about it. And Jim, do we hear anything from the great coaches when it comes to the transfer of energy to the group? Yeah, one of the themes that comes up is that the energy the team feel, or perhaps are able to generate, comes from the vision the leader outlines. And a good example comes from Heineke Meyer, the South African rugby coach. So let's have a listen to what he had to say. I think the most important thing is to have a vision for the team. And the bigger the vision, the, the bigger the energy. Uh, you have to have a vision that inspires people. And I always say to, to young coaches, I like working with young coaches, it's like a magnifying glass. If I take a magnifying glass and, and I don't have an exact, exact set vision, there's no energy. You know, we play this style, we do this style, we, want to st- we stand for this, this is our culture, and you change every second day. If you've got a set, set, set vision written in stone so everybody knows exactly what, you have, what they want to achieve and everybody's focused in the same, same direction, you focus with a magnifying glass, you put it on one spot, everybody's focused, you have enough energy to start a, a fire that can destroy the, you know, everything. Gavin, it's been terrific to get you back on again. I think your ideas around creating the time and space needed to generate the type of energy that leads to high-performing teams was fantastic. And I, I look forward to getting you back on again, perhaps in the next month or so, to talk about another issue or another area where psychology and science come together with high performance from the sporting world. Look forward to it, Paul. Thanks so much. And Jim, thank you for being the voice of the great coaches today. Great. Thanks, Paul. Hi, everyone. You've been listening to our episode on the topic of energy. We hope you found a few ideas that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room or boardroom table for discussion. Some of the key highlights for me were Gavin's views on how energy has both a physical and psychological element and how being able to renew your energy in both of these areas is critical as a leader. How the leader's role is harnessing and transferring energy into the tasks or responsibilities of the team, while ensuring that as little energy as possible is drained into low-value activities. The view of the great coach Becky Burley that there is no task that needs to get done that's more valuable than her bringing her best energy to the team and how, as leaders, you can help generate energy by creating an environment where people connect with each other in more than just a superficial way. I hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know, just like Grayson DuBose, who dropped us this feedback. Just spent the last 30 minutes or so listening to your podcast with Hugh McCutcheon. I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to put this one out there. Such good stuff. Geez, thanks, Grayson. We will have Hugh back on the podcast again in the very near future. We love the interaction with people around the world who listen. And so if you have any feedback or comments, then please let us know. And if they're positive ones, then please let your friends know too. All the details on how you can connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com.
Podcast.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.